This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast. I'm Jamie Smith, your host for this week's show. James, Adam and Kev are all with me, as well as Scott from the Swansea Way. Um, a 1-0 defeat for Burnley this weekend at the hands of Swansea. Thanks for an own goal. Probably not the best goal we'll see at the Turf Moor all season, but we'll have to go through that. And um, we'll talk about later in the show about how we met some of the, the suits at Turf Moor before the game. We interviewed the Chief Executive Lee Hughes and the Chief Operating Officer. David Baldwin, and we've got a little clip to play from that as well. But we'll start by talking about the football. To start with, James, it was not a good match, was it, at all? Uh, no, I think that's probably being generous. Understatement. <laughs> yeah, it just, just it was poor all round. It wasn't a case of Burnley were bad and the other team were great. I think both teams were just dull. So possibly the, the nicest way of putting it. Um, it didn't really look like particularly anyone uh, you know, was going to score. Um and I think, to be honest, both teams should have probably just been given no points in that one. It, it seemed like a classic nil-nil, didn't it? I think if, if we hadn't scored an on-goal, it probably would have been nil-nil. Neither side really created an awful lot. I felt Swansea probably came looking for a draw. They'd be delighted to, to come away with a win. Well, I got what he thinks a little bit later. Um, Kevin, have you got anything to add to, to what James has said? It was a pretty horrible match to watch, even from the posh seats. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, from the posh seats, we said, we, I think we said even 10 minutes into a match, there's going to be one goal and miss at the most. Um, and in, in the end, it wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even attacking anything was, was what the goal came from. It was just a freak mistake at the back. So it's not even that like either team could score that one goal we thought, we thought might be in it. But um, yeah, it was one of those games where you know when when you're losing one nil at home you, you you sometimes expect we usually expect at least for the last 10 minutes we will really really go for it and just throw people forward and to our credit we, we put an extra striker on but we never ever looked like creating anything we didn't play we, we even for the last 10 minutes we we just stayed in the same pace we'd done for the rest of the match there was no urgency and um yeah i think could have played another two or three 90 minutes and not been it'd be another goal in that it's such a strange performance we just unbelievably flat especially off the back of the 
the two away games at Chelsea and Man United where we played so well. I didn't expect us to play like that at all. Um, Adam, the goal came from a corner, of course. Um, we did a Snapchat because we're on Snapchat now, like cool, hip young people, where you could barely bear to watch the, the corner that they actually scored from. But it, it was always going to be another set piece, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was strange. We said, because we were all sitting together, it was quite fun to to try and predict what would happen. And, and when, when the first corner came of the game we we all we all said oh no here we go and then we successfully managed to defend a few corners um and then as a joke in the second half kevin said oh go on just put your hands over your eyes as if you can't can't bear to watch and then i'll snapchat you doing it um and i did and then we scored so uh maybe we can blame snapchat um for the goal blame snapchat <laughs> rather than you two jinxes <laughs> <laughs> well, well it was actually I was actually quite re- relieved that we had snapchat to entertain us during during that game because <laughs> me and Kevin just spent the time having fun doing silly stuff on that but um, <laughs> but the game was terrible it was, uh, it was a bit dead um, I think something something I noticed on the corner is that we're now it was officially got to this stage now that we're so bad at corners that the opposition doesn't even need to attack them we'll just <laughs> We'll just Wait throw for into back in ourselves. In ourselves yeah. yeah, so we're, we're so bad at corners now, but the, the, the opposition doesn't even need to. They can just go go back into their own half and get ready for kickoff. Because <laughs> uh, we're just gonna gonna score it for them. Should do a quick thank you to Neville G. Actually, our sponsors, No Name Ever, who treated us to a, a day out in the posh seats and in the, the Neville G. Lounge at Surf So thanks to to Donny, who's who's ill, unfortunately, so get well soon, Donny, and thanks to Gina and Amy who walked after us on the day. Hopefully we'll get to it again soon. Scott, if we bring you in, you must be delighted with what was a little bit like a smashing grab away win. Yeah, definitely. I think the point I made after the game was that I think perhaps it showed that we've spent a couple of seasons in the Premier League consistently now, and Monk tried to work a lot on game management earlier in the season. And I think, like you guys were alluding to, it didn't really look like anybody was going to score. But I think in the past, those are games that we'd have contrived to lose. Um, and I think it was perhaps a bit more confidence in our ability to sit, uh, whereas Burnley have probably got more pressure on them. And and like you say, the goal was a bit scrappy and um, it was a bit of a nothing game, really. And I think as a Swans fan, it's pleasing that we've started winning these kind of games where there doesn't seem an obvious winner. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel for you guys because I had a look at your fixed list prior to prior to the game and I think I, I don't know how you guys would see it but having lost the game to Swansea now I think um, it, it makes the next getting a result from one of these next really big games that much more important I think I think what you said there about the Premier League experience is quite interesting because it's something we've picked on a few times um, here is that we I think we sometimes feel like we've been a bit pay the opposition a little bit too much respect. Um, I think we was a, a few times on Saturday when we could have maybe a little bit more aggressive, um, and was, you know certain times like the like the barns in the area. You know, mm. Okay, he, he shouldn't have to go down, but there's, there's sort of like things where maybe actually it, it, it is that experience and almost that being a bit more, but more knowledgeable and and just having that bit more bit more about you mentally in the Premier League that that, that you that get that you get those percentages that make the difference. There's one moment in particular on that actually that I was going to bring up a little bit later. Towards the end, um after Sam Volts had come on, there was a ball went into the box and it seemed like I think it was Taylor, the defender, who seemed to have hold of him. Volks sort of shrugged him off, but it was inside the box. Volks might have been able to get on the end of the ball. 
I know James has got strong views on this, but could we have had a penalty there? Should we have had a penalty well, there? It's interesting because Vokes actually came out after the game and they were talking to him about it, I think, and they said, um, you know, was that a penalty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, I'm not the kind of player who goes down if I'm in a position where I think I can score. I'm always going to try and get to the ball. And I think the, I think the problem is we can't expect referees to be perfect. And I've spoken to a couple of guys like Keith Hackett about this, and I think until they get video refereeing involved, I think the ref's always going to make mistakes. So whether those mistakes are fouls or penalties or offsides, however that happens, there's always going to be mistakes. And I think this this is the kind of thing where if the referees are making mistakes, it just furthers the goal for technology for me because you're not going to be perfect all the time. And I think the players shouldn't be having to go down in that situation. They shouldn't. It's not like cricket. It's not something where you don't appeal, you don't get it. You know, <laughs> there's no. Uh, I, th- I think it, the ref should get. I think the point Vokes made, and I think the point somebody else made on Saturday Night Football, I think on Sky, they were saying he shouldn't have to go down to get the foul. The ref should give the foul anyway. But I, I completely understand what you're saying in terms of going down to, to not to exaggerate it in any way, but just to, to flag up that you have been held back. But I think. It was true. It didn't even seem to appeal. So I agree with you on video refs, actually. We can come on to that a bit later. Um, it, there's a couple of examples earlier in the season where Lucas Jukovic was being held in the box and he did go down and made a bit more of a, a song and dance about it and got the penalty. So perhaps if folks had done that, we would have got it. But James, you agree with Scott, don't you, in that he shouldn't have had to do that to get the penalty. The referee should see that he'd been fouled anyway. No, he definitely shouldn't Definitely shouldn't go. have to go down to... So yeah, penalty. You know, if if it's a foul, it's a foul whether he's on his feet or he's on the floor. Um, you know, if he's been, if he's just been impeded enough that it's a, you know, affected his his opportunity to to take a chance, then it, I don't think he should have to be on the floor to show that that was the case. Um, I think it's something that as people now go down to prove that they deserve a, a decision, I think that just forces more that snowballs into more people diving without contact because um, they think obviously that's going to get them a penalty. And I think that's just sort of taken away from the game long term. But then the, the problem is, if we've got a, a situation like we did have on Saturday where Volks probably should have had a penalty and haven't got one, there's no there's no um, reward for players who are being honest if they're not going to get those decisions, is there? Um, no, but that's, that, that just shows that there's, a, there's clearly an issue with the you know, officiating and um, some of that needs to be looked at to, you know, to make sure that referees are giving um, fouls where they has been you know, a foul and not just because they've seen someone go down. There was a couple of other penalty shouts as well. I, I haven't been able to see them back since the game, actually, but there was a handball shout in the second half that I didn't see at all and possibly a high foot on Michael Kiley that might not have been in the box either. Um, but after, I suppose after last week when we all complained rightly about Jose Mourinho's histrionics, it would be a little bit hypocritical to go on about referees too much, wouldn't it, Kevin? It wouldn't, to be honest, considering the way the, the game was going on Saturday, we'd have probably missed it anyway. But <laughs> there was no way it was going to be two goals in that true. match. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I've only I've not seen any of them uh, in, back in the replay. Actually, it's only from what I saw in the ground. Um, but I'm going from here. But the Barnes one was a penalty. I don't think there's any doubt about, about that. Um, he still me votes. <laughs> did I say Barnes again? <laughs> right. Yeah. You really um, okay. But yeah, the, the Vokes one was definitely a penalty. There's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, um, the other two, I, 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 at the instant in the ground, I didn't see anything that, that, that screamed penalty to me. But like I said, it's, it's those things where you, where you see it on replays and maybe it is. But that, again, that goes back to the, to the officiating thing. It's, if, if, we, if, you could, if you can't see it in that split moment in the time, then it's difficult. And maybe, like you were saying before, that video refs, refs, uh, video replays maybe are, are the answer to that. I actually found it quite funny um, 
on, on Saturday night on Match of the Day where Rude Gullet said that Sean Dye should be fu- furious with, with Sam Vokes for not going down there. And I, I thought, does he know anything about Sean Dyche at all? Like, it, it, he's always preaching about honesty and whatever. So it, it, it kind of it, it puzzles me that we, we're, we're so... I, I suppose we are honest all, all the time. Um, and, and it puzzles me that everyone thinks that we, we shouldn't be. Um, um, and it's, it's quite a, um, an indictment, a sad indictment of the game um, that everyone expects us to go down and, and be aggressive or, or, and, um, and, and just not actually play the game in a good spirit, which is what everyone appears to, to want us to do when Sean Dash has openly said that we're, we're trying to be honest as a team um, and, and work in, in the correct manner. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's quite quite strange, and I found it quite funny that that Rugal said that. Um, to play devil's advocate, then it's the last day of the season. We're at Villa. It's the draw. We're going into the last five minutes. As it stands, we're going down. If we score a goal, we go up. Danny Ings goes into the box. He gets a push, but it's not a very strong push. It's a little bit of a nudge. Do you want him to go down and get a penalty that keeps up, or do you want him to be honest and stay on his feet? I suppose if that's the only way you ever get penalties, and you you can't help but join in. Like it's not right that you join you join in, but you you, you kind of still have to. Um, whether like it's it's a kind of weird moral question that whether you should kind of join join in with like what the the common practice is is to go go down in the penalty if you get contact. So you, so you uh, in in the penalty area if you get con- uh, contact, so you get the penalty. Um, but I, I it, it's it's quite like confusing as to what you sh- what you what you should do. Like in an ideal world, no, of course we sh- you shouldn't go down because it's think, not a foul. I don't think it's really that confusing. I would rather watch us in the championship than watch us in the Premier League, knowing we cheated to be there. Mm. How, yeah. how long would you feel bad about it though? Would it like I'd, I'd I be think it'd be forgotten quite quickly. Started, but I'd still I would not have been comfortable with it. I wouldn't be that comfortable with it, but I think if it came down the to thing it, is, I'd, like, I'd rather someone, we were the thing, actually, the other week when I tweeted about Rooney's dive at Preston and said, if you did that in the World Cup for England, would you be bothered? I was like, yes. But the thing is, like, it, if he went down there, it wouldn't. surely it wouldn't look like a dive because there was contact. Like, if, if, you, if you dive well, then... Talk about the Volks one, yeah. The Volks one is a totally different example, isn't it? Because he is being held. Yeah, it's like... And I think it, it's, it's it fairly clear, natural, really... So. And the, there would have been no reason for him to go down unless he was being fouled in that situation. The only reason for him to go down is that he's being fouled and he can't get to the ball because he's being fouled. But yeah, I think we've probably talked about that too much for considering <laughs> we, we we were pretty awful and didn't deserve to get anything from the game. Um, Scott, if we can bring you back in, one of the players I was most impressed with on the day was Jack Cork, who obviously he's known to, to us because he spent 18 months at Turf Moor. He's, he's quite new to Swansea. How, how do you think he's getting on so far? Um, he's definitely settling in now. Um, I think the Manchester United game, he did a very, very good job on Fellaini. Um, I think, yeah, he, he's looking like he's really settling in. And I think there's no doubt about the quality of the player. You guys probably know that better than me, to be honest. Um, I, I had a look at sort of stats over his last couple of seasons. And it was interesting to see how his game had changed this season under Koeman in terms of what he was doing on the field, how many passes he was making, where he was making them. Um, generally, he wasn't quite as all-action this season. But he hadn't played as much football. I think there'd been a kind of a, a bit of a standoff over his new contract. Um, so yeah, so I think for the money, I, th- I think we've got an absolute bargain. I think it was, if, I think it was undisclosed. But I think four million. I think is is the it's report. About three, thing. four million. Yeah, yeah. His contract was up at the end of the season on that. Yeah, exactly. So I think for that money, it's a bargain. And I think 
like when we first brought Shelby and I was sort of moaning about it to be honest, to be honest. But then when you get thinking about it, when you think for the Swans to be able to bring in a player who is definitely going to challenge for the first team is of a good age, is British. Uh, if you can find a player who fits that bill for less than five million, I think pretty much always without question you'd like to sign him if you're in the Premier League and you've got that kind of money um, because they don't come around that often if, and especially if it's somebody like Jack Cork because I think I'm excited about him because I think he's got the physicality I think that we need whilst also being able to operate in defence well, defensive midfield anyway uh, which we've perhaps lacked so yeah so so hopefully because Leon Britton's not getting any younger and he's I think he's only started six games this season Leon Britton which is very worrying for a Swans fan um yeah, so pff, I think I think that's the role for him. I think long term he he he's been looked at as a uh, as a sort of a beefed up successor to Leon Britton, as it were. That's quite interesting because when he played for us, we we used him as more of a passer further forward, but he he was playing as as one of the shielding two on Saturday, wasn't he? Was it yeah, alongside yeah. Key? But you've got so many ball players in midfield, you can probably afford to play Cork a bit more defensively. Yeah, I think he, I think it's his, his physicality more than. Uh, more than anything relative to anything else that we've got because I think with John Joe Shelby he's, he's got all the physicality in the world <laughs> there's no question in that um, but it's, it's being in the right area of the field at the right time and, and in fairness to John Joe that, that's doing him a disservice because uh, he has improved a lot this season uh, and recently as well but with Cork there's already the, dis- the discipline there and I think similar to perhaps Fabianski when he came down here in the summer I think there's a desire to sort of imprint himself as a a big player for the Swans instantly. I get that sense with him, and I, and I think he's got the ability to do it. So, so hopefully, uh, we, we're going to have a couple of interesting, good problems to have between the end of the season, uh, now and the end of the season, in terms of who's going to make our midfield. Because we've got Key, Leon Britton, John Joe Sigurdsson, uh, Jack Cork, we've got guys coming up through the youth. We signed Matty Grimes from Exeter. Uh, Jay Fulton's played quite a few games. He's quite good as well. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a good problem to have, really, I think. Coming back to the game from a Burnley point of view, I feel bad even raising this because I'm sure people are sick of hearing about it, but the use of substitutions was again a problem um, for me. I think before Swans even scored, we were joking about how late it was going to be before Dad put a sub on. And I think it was almost 10 minutes after the goal, was it, when Sam Volts came on in the end? And then inevitably, Luke Sjokovic trots on for injury time to just stand about a bit and try and maybe head the ball at some point. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything new to say on this, but it's it's obviously something Daesh doesn't really believe in. I think he gave an interview to the Berlin Express recently, didn't he, where he, shot, he shined a little bit of light on on his, his theories here, but it's just odd when you, you're chasing a game and it's obviously not working. Kevin, you wonder why he doesn't want to change things a bit more. You say that you say that he's shone some light on it, but I don't think... I, I, I think it was, that was quite vague, to... but it, it, it was, basically it was... said that statistically it's not proven to make a difference. But I, but that was all rubbish, to be honest. It was <laughs> Basically, what he said was sometimes we make subs and it works. Sometimes we make subs and it don't work. Sometimes we don't make a sub and we win. And sometimes we don't make a sub and we lose. So basically, it was stuff happens... And basically, you could, you could make that argument for any team. Every single team is going to be some. Sometimes you make a sub, it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you don't make a sub, and it works. At the, the end of the day, is the way we use subs has consistently been bad, been bad under Dice. It's not something what we just picked up in this season. This season, it's something we talked about last season. And obviously, when we when you're winning games, it doesn't make that bigger. It's not that bigger controversy because if we're 
if we're winning games, then you, you can't really complain. But even in the previous season as well, I think it was about 10 games into his reign that Jamie wrote on the site that his use of subs was rubbish. Um, so there's certainly something there. And um, there's, there's not just the, the fact that we, we make subs so late. I mean, Djokovic has got a great gig here. He comes on, does two minutes, about 30 seconds of work every match and gets his uh, gets an appearance bonus for it. So it's it's not a bad not a bad gig for him, but it's not just the the the, the lack of the lack of subs and the, the the timing of the subs. It's just we're all like for like. You look at the bench and there's nobody who can come on and change the way the team works. Really, you've got Ross Wallace perhaps who can come on and and uh, and, and change things a little bit. But even him, it's it's not it's not a significant change from what we've what we've got out there. And it's a real problem because I mean you look at the likes of last season. Okay. Um, might have been hit and miss at some time. Sorry about that, Jamie. But Stanley's like could come off the bench, could come off the bench and give us something very different. He was he had a bit of pace to him. He was a bit trickier than anybody else. And I know we tried to sign him again. He, he wanted to go for, to play a bit more football, which is fair enough. But we've got nobody on the bench who can come on and and give us that something a bit different. Even even Sordell's, uh, you know, he might not be um, the most the most gifted player. But <laughs> but the thing is, when you've got You've got Barnes on on the, on the field, and you've got Djokovic, and you've got Vokes on the bench. They're three players who are okay. They're not carbon copies, but they're very similar types Probably of players. Similar, basically, target man style. Yeah, and it, we, we, essentially, you're bringing players on. It's, it's exactly the same as, as what's going off, and I think that's the, that's the real problem. Really, it's if you're making a sub late, and it's someone who's, who's going to really change the game and gives a big that big last twist in the last ten minutes, and then maybe it, it could work. But when you when you're making changes and it's just it's not changing anything really it's just a, a, a different human then it's I agree I think yeah. if, you, if you're just going like for like you're not asking any different questions are you I mean on Saturday Swansea seemed so comfortable with the sort of balls into the box we were playing the balls up from the back we were playing they were just eating everything up for breakfast and then Volts comes on and Jukovic comes on and it's exactly the same stuff. So unless you're going to do something different, it makes you wonder what the point is. And I agree about I think, Sordell, I think, actually. I think we've we've underused Sordell, even though I don't particularly rate him. He is a, a different option and we, sh- we should make the most of that. Otherwise, what was the point in assigning him? <laughs> doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah, I think I think because it's it, look, it's it's not a personnel problem because it's not like, okay, sometimes you know players have players have not as some games where they're more effective and some that aren't. Um, but more often than not, it's 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 a system problem. It's not that Dice's system is bad. It's just that obviously sometimes teams can come in for the different ways the opposition sets up. It can counter up counter against our system, and it was quite obvious on Saturday that it just wasn't. There was something about the system that wasn't working, and, and I just don't understand why we didn't try something different. This I again, I think I'd have brought Wallace on him. Just that we had we've got we had a few couple of um, we had at one point we had Barnes. Um, Ings and, and Vokes on who are f- three players who are probably going to challenge him quite well in the air uh, there was nobody really on the field who could put those crosses in um, so, and Wallace can do that Wallace is probably one of the best crosses of a ball I've seen um, in my whole entire time of watch, watching Burnley okay he's lacking in other areas but if you can stick him on the, on the wing and just get the ball for him to whack it in uh, it could come off similarly from the three kicks he's hardly had a sniff this season but he's he scored two free kicks, I think, and okay, one was slightly fortuitous, but you've got to you've got to you've got to get it in there. So um, yeah, I'd like to see Wallace come on just to give us that something different. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the problems as well is that it's, it turns into a vicious circle as well because you don't use the subs a lot, and then you want to put them on, but they're undercooked because they've barely played any football. Like you, if you want to turn to Wallace, he's not started a game in a long time. He's only played ten minutes here or there. He's barely been on the pitch recently. So then you put him on, asking to make the difference. It's coming in extremely cold. Um, 
James, we have talked about this endlessly, but what do you think the problem is? Is it, is it Daesh's reluctance? Is it a lack of quality in reserve? Is it a lack of different options? Why is it that we constantly see subs that seem to be far too late in the game? I think he just, that's the way he likes to do it. I think he likes to do it sort of the old-fashioned, I've picked my 11, and I've picked my way I'm going to play and I'm going to stick with it as long as possible. I don't know, it's kind of like sometimes you... Obviously, the closest I can come to comparing to this is football manager. Sometimes you sat there on football manager and you're thinking, I really had faith in this lineup. I just want to give it another minute. And you're kind of like, another minute, another minute. And maybe there's almost a bit of that that sort of, you know, you think any moment now it's going to work out the way you, you envisaged it. Um, and you don't want to change it because you don't want to ruin that. Yeah, I did notice, so we were sat almost directly behind the dugout on Saturday. I noticed that Dash is in almost constant discussion with these assistants. And you just wonder what they're talking about because you know Sam Volts is going to come on at about 70, 75 minutes and you know Jukovic is going to come on at 90 minutes. It's like they're talking about what takeaway they're going to order on the bus. Like, I don't understand what they're talking about. And Adam, what's your take on this substitution thing? I think I think we were quite lucky to get Sam Volks at 75 or whatever it was. It's usually a little bit later than that, isn't it? It's, uh, it is, it's just really perplexing, like... You can try and look at how how Dice's logic works, but it's just, it's just like, well, obviously it's time to make a change. It just seems obvious to everyone. Um, obviously, everyone apart from from Dice. Um, I think the others have said it quite well. I think um, I think I think Dice really really puts a huge value on on consistency. Yeah, and and in, in the way that I think he's his approach never changes. The, the the lineup never changes, the system never changes. And I think on the whole that has been hugely beneficial for us. I think if we'd been chopping and changing a bit more last season, we, we wouldn't have gone up. Yeah. Um, but does it does it make us too predictable to play against? And that and that's the thing. I think it works when when you're playing well and you're and you're winning games over time. Um, and I I do think we've got we've had a net game from that. But it's 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 been telling a few times this season now that it's actually starting to um to go the other way. And, and the benefit it brought us last season, and probably at, at some points this season as well, is actually we're starting to to get the, the drawbacks from it as well now. Um, and I think it's something where Dyche perhaps will learn to be a little bit more flexible. Yeah, but it's it's like um, when you change it, don't forget that it can it could go it could get worse as well. It could it could. But if you're already losing, yeah, yeah. I suppose you've got nothing to lose, but maybe overall, like as a as a turn, like it can. In in terms of consistency, it just um, yeah. I, I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's calling for us to to, to turn into into turn into Brendan Rodgers and have a completely back, different back five every match. Yeah, but it's, it's having the flexibility to have those different options in reserve. And okay, let's start with this with this this um, this team and this system. What has served us so well? But you've got to have again. If we're going to go back, if you're going to go back to football manager, you've got those three tactics. What you can just click on at the top, and he's got to have those two different tactics. What you can, uh, what you can, he can tap into if he if he needs to. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I, I thought on Saturday when votes came on, it, it wasn't really clear what what the what the plan was after that. I'm, I wasn't sure. Where some of the players were playing, Barnes seemed to be playing in central midfield at some points. Ings was coming out wide to try and get involved in the play. It just seemed a bit um, like, like, just like there wasn't much of a plan, really. And it's, well, you, it sounds harsh when you lay out that boldly, but I don't know how we were trying to score a goal because, as, as Kev's pointed out, we didn't put Wallace on to hit cross into the box. We were just hoofing it up from the back. We weren't winning second balls because we didn't have money with his energy in midfield. It just seemed like. It was just hoof and hope 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that it, we, we should, this is the way to go, but if you, if you spend all your time playing a certain system, then if you change that system, it's, it's, it, it, you'll be a bit uncomfortable. And it, the, the gain that you get from, um, from playing the same system all the time and doing it in training may, may be more than the actual, um, maybe the negative of taking time away from perfecting that system to, to, um, be, um, to focus on being flexible and, and being able to change formation and, and whatever. It's an interesting point. I'm, I'm going to write a piece on it for the site. I think so. We've inspired me to, to do something for the site. Scott, if we bring you back in just uh, briefly before we let you get off. Uh, the win on Saturday took Swansea up to eighth in the table, didn't it? You must be delighted with the way it's going, especially with Gary Monk being in his first full season in charge. Yeah, uh, like you say, delighted. And I think I think there's always an element of people who could do it better if they were, if they were the manager, of course. Um but yeah, I was, I was just talking to a Spurs fan ahead of um, ahead of our game this week, this Wednesday, um, and I made the point to him. I said, if we beat you, we're only with within one point of Spurs. Um, I know they've got a game in hand on us, but but even even so, I said to him, as a Spurs fan, are you disappointed with that at this point in the season for for the Swans to be so close to you? And he said, to be honest, and I think he's probably right, and that it was probably short selling the Swans, because um, I think if Spurs win, I think two games, three games, they could be right back up in the mix of the top four. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's. I think um, staying this close to the European spots, I think, is probably unsustainable. But I think, I don't think we're aiming to compete with 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 the top six, top seven, however however many clubs you want to lump into that top group. And I think it's it's just a case of building the club year on year and improving the facilities, improving the playing staff, improving the coaching, and just building the club, expand the stadium, and and, and do it organically and properly and. And hopefully uh, we'll be sort of bubble-proof because I think at some point uh, all this television money stuff, it can't keep going up forever. And I think when it does go boom, I think a a lot of clubs will suffer. And I think clubs like the Swans and Burnley, um, uh, was it the meek will inherit the earth and all that? Something like that, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you're right, the bubble will burst because I don't think there's a benefit at the moment for, for clubs to run themselves properly because... What was it? The figures came out this week. QPR made a loss of about ten million. Wigan made a profit of two million. QPR beat Wigan in the playoff final or something. Was that right? Yeah. And it just it just shows that the fair play changes haven't worked at all. Um, one final thing before we let you go. Then um, we were on another podcast, the EPL Roundtable, and you were saying that you basically weren't that bothered where you finished. But it was interesting that that Monk set a target of getting a record points total. It's got to be something you ought to push on with, although I think Swansea are an excellent example of how a smaller club can build up without having to overspend every year. You've got to look at pushing on and trying to qualify for Europe eventually, though, don't you? Oh, eventually, without a doubt. But I think, I hate the, the saying that football's a business, I really do. Um, but there is an element of truth in that, in that at the end of the day, you've got to balance the books. So, so with that in mind, I'd say the element of football being a business should always be running the club sustainably. I think as soon as you become unsustainable, if you've got a playing squad that's sustained by uh, the directors chucking millions in, or if you've got a, uh, a stadium or whatever it is, that I don't like that. I don't like the idea of that. I think the club should always be able to pay its own way. So the idea that we could be challenging for a top six club, it's lovely. Don't get me wrong. It is, it's a brilliant idea. But I think if that happens, brilliant. But until I think the club can legitimately say, or until any club can legitimately say, uh, we can mix it with an Arsenal or a Liverpool or a, or a Spurs or a Man City or a Chelsea, um, I think it's 
you've got to be happy that that's going to be a freak occurrence. And I, I think that's part of the problem at the moment, I think, is that the media always build everything up. You, like you say, you, there's a, a need for upward momentum constantly. But if, like I say, for me, as a Swansea fan, with the history we've had as a club, with the size of the club, I view the top six as completely unobtainable. If if, if we end up there, brilliant. But until we've got 20,000-seat stadium, you know? Like if we end up with a 45,000-seat stadium through through careful management and putting money in the bank and paying it up, and we're earning loads more money through match day income and that kind of stuff, um, then, yeah, I guess we'll be in a position to, to, to pay bigger in transfers. And, and that's when I think you can look to broach that gap. For example, if like a Newcastle or an Aston Villa had been run, I, I don't even mind saying this, probably similar with yourselves as well, but as well as the Swans over the last 10 years, if, um, if these clubs had been run as successfully on the field as well and, and, and look to push on. I think if you're at a Newcastle with a 52,000-seat stadium and that fan base, I think they're a club who uh, have definitely underperformed. But I think for the Swans, it's always going to be um, <laughs> definitely a freak occurrence if we were to, to sort of finish in the European spots. But I think for this season, uh, we've got like, like Monk was saying, 47 would be equal with the record. We're on 40 now and we've got 11 games to play. So like I know it's just theoretical, but there's 33 points to play for there. Um, yeah, we've definitely got some winnable games coming up as well. So I'd be disappointed if we didn't get over 50 points now from this point, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I reckon we're safe anyway. And that's the main thing. <laughs> you should be able to lend us some points. I think we're going to be more in need of them than you at the end of the season. Um, but thanks for joining us anyway, Scott. That's Scott Mackay from the Swansea Way, which is uh, a Swansea-based website, obviously there on Twitter as well, at the Swansea Way, if you want to give them a follow. Um, we'll leave the game behind for now. But before the match on Saturday, the 1-0 draw, to, uh, 1-0 draw if only it had been a draw, 1-0 defeat to Swansea at Turf Moor. We met with uh, Chief Executive Lee Hughes, and the Chief Operating Officer, David Baldwin, to discuss all sorts of things. And there's a clip from what we talked about coming up right now. I think I probably illustrate this in a more simplistic process, because it's about the process. So, you know, you don't have you don't have a board identifying players. You don't have a Chief Executive identifying players. You have a manager and his, his recruitment department deciding the type of player <coughs> they want to bring in that fits in with the mould. They do their homework on that. They know they want to know about the character, they want to know about what he can play like, what his attributes are, what his development capability is within the growth of the team that department whether it be the head of recruitment or the manager then will come to the board including the chief executive and say this is a candidate we, that we identify that we want in, in our building the process of the financials then starts generally with the chief executive and the player's agent and the other club if it involves a, club, a player under contract all that dialogue comes together to determine how much does he cost to buy how much does he cost to pay what does what are his, his demands in terms of term? Once that's all wrapped in, at that point, you know the, the chief has got it teed up in, in a domino effect. Say so right, bang, 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 it's all ready. We'll refer back, have a dialogue with the manager to say, yep, we're about. This is where we're at now because the next thing you've got to do is you've got to re-engage with the football department in terms of the medical provision. Yeah. They want to make sure he meets the criteria. <coughs> now, if the manager's got an issue with anything in, 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 that's happened in phase two, in the fiscal side of it, then he will voice that. If he hasn't got it, you know, that's where open dialogue happens. It's not about, you know, there's no, there's not like miscommunication where one does one thing in isolation to another. And then what then happens is we'll have a medical, football department will make an assessment based on that medical. And depending on what the information comes on that and that, then the determination will be, and do you then progress at that stage? So that was Lee Hughes and David Baldwin, and we'll have a lot more of them on the site and on the podcast in the next week or two. I think next week's will probably be a, a big special where we'll edit that all down and package it altogether that was just David Baldwin actually um, Lee who's you'll have to wait for him a little bit later <laughs> we'll get that all sorted out um, Kevin if we can start with you then what, what was your overall impression of, of meeting the, the two 
main guys at Turf Moor? Um, I think I think they talk a lot of sense. I think they they, they, they certainly talk well. Um, it's it's going to be. It's, it, I think what they did quite well is, is explain a few things which um, we we perhaps don't get explained to us that often. Um, things I think we. We we asked about how how a transfer how the transfer system works. Um, we tried to get a few more details out of them, like who who we who we who we failed to get on on deadline day. Obviously, we, we weren't going to give that away. Um, and there's a few things where I thought maybe they they were a little bit um, quiet on uh, and almost maybe pushed a few questions aside. But I think on the whole, they were, they were very open ways, and it was it was quite it was it was nice, refreshing, refreshing chat. And I'm really looking forward to. Uh, to listen to it back actually and 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 letting everyone else listen to it back so i think it was a, it was a really good chat and, and i enjoyed it and, um i really like david baldwin as well um i think you know we, we've met lee hughes a few times before um i had a quick chat with with david before christmas and we we talked to him again now and he, i think i really like him i think there's a few things actually even where it was it was um which he explained very 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 clearly um and i think he's got some really good ideas and after talking to some brad fans as well um I do like the sound of him. I'm looking forward to seeing how how their how their roles um, develop over the next year. I agree. I think it was extremely impressive. Also, the first dealings I've really had with with David Baldwin. It was quite interesting that it was it was very Burnley when we went in to meet them, and they're in this little office together. The two most important people at the club, some would argue, um, they've got this little office where they're rubbing together and making each other teas and stuff. It's, it just doesn't seem very very Premier League, but I quite like that about Burnley. Um, just on, on Lee Hughes, actually, I know a lot of um, known and ever readers and listeners aren't particularly um, fans of Lee Hughes. I think it's fair to say, but I've met him a couple of times now, and he's very personable. Like even if you feel like he's dodging questions sometimes, or if you feel like his explanations don't add up, and we'll leave that up to you when you get to hear the, the whole clips and the transcripts and stuff. But he does come across like a really nice bloke, and it's difficult to dislike him once you've spent some time in a room with him. I think the thing the thing I like about Lee is, is along those lines. I think he's very. Um, he, he, I don't think he's the type of guy who, who really who had, who denies his faults. I think he, if he feels he's got something wrong, he's, he's said it. I think, and I think he's also. I think there's a few times where he's met us, and he's is is not. He doesn't have this impression that he's all all knowing. He's he's asked us for our input and our insights, and I do think. I think although we've criticised um, the way that fan consultation is done, and I think there's definitely a lot of improvement to be done there, and hopefully David Baldwin can improve that. Um, I think Lee Hughes has got an appetite at least for, for for getting fans' views on board. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's that's obviously an area where. Um, I think it's fair to say there's been issues, but I think David's arrival does help in that regard. It was obvious um, in the summer and at the start of the season that all the staff were just very stretched. The fact that there was so much more to do getting ready for the Premier League and all the workloads were just unsustainable and being able to take on an extra... Um, chief exec style person I think just dividing up their world order is going to make a big difference um, I think I think actually it was telling during the, actually during the interview there was several times that Lee Hughes was rooting through let's paint a picture here in Lee Hughes and David Baldwin's office there, there are literally mountains not literally but uh, mountains of paperwork on the desk um, and and he was rooting through to find some specific figures for us. And then David Baldwin just walks over to his desk and just grabs a piece of paper, and that's the one he's looking for. I think that's the kind of demonstrative, um, like kind of collaboration that they they can have. He can kind of help who's out um, when when he's kind of in in a bit of a, a, um, a struggle to to get things done. Yeah, um, it probably is interesting. <laughs> it's useful in that regard that they do share an office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
maybe if we stay up, they'll get their own office. <laughs> maybe. James, you, um, I'm sure most people know you used to work at the club, but you had the chance to ask a, a number of questions. How, how did you feel that the pair of them came across? And David Bolden in particular, he's new to a lot of people and they haven't really heard much from him yet because he is so new. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think everyone probably heard enough of uh, Lee to have made their mind up, you know, on, on what they think of him. So it's probably more interesting to focus on on David Bolden. He, you know, I think came across, you know, really well. Um, he looks like he knows uh, what sort of stuff away from the football side that, that the club need to look at, and and he's, he seems to have a good idea of what he wants to do going forward to you know to make make those improvements. I just want to trail uh, the interview in a bit more detail. I haven't had a chance to listen back to it either, but we asked uh, a number of the questions that people put to us uh, via email or via Twitter that we, we asked people to do over the week. So some of the things we asked about were transfer strategies. Lee was able to clear up. Lee and David were able to clear up exactly how that works. Uh, ran us through some of the issues that they had getting getting players signed in January. He told us basically why why nothing happened in January, although they weren't able to name any names. I think we've all aware already of those deals that didn't go through. It's not difficult to work out who they were. Um, ticket prices, we asked about. Unfortunately, no real positive news to bring anyone on that front. Um, redevelopment of the Creekfield stand, the Bob Ward stand. Again, it's all sort of um, being worked out in people's heads rather than on, on blueprints at the moment. Development at Gawthorpe, youth academies, all this stuff was things that we talked about. Fan engagement was on there as well. How to engage expats, young fans, um, and a lot about how Burnley can be more of a community club as well. So it's certainly well worth a listen. Like I say, I think next week's podcast, there'll be a lot more on that and we'll get it all written up on the site as well. Um, just one final thing I wanted to raise from that actually was um, it. we should point out that it is good of the club to, to give us that sort of access. I mean, I don't want it to seem like we're just kissing their backsides because they've let us do an interview with them, but a lot of clubs wouldn't do that. I think it's right that we recognise that when we do ask to, to get the chance to put questions to the chief executive, that we, that we get the opportunity to do that. I think um, something else to mention as well, that um, John B, the, the co-chairman, came and introduced himself, introduced himself uh, just before the match, um, which was quite nice. And he actually, um don't if you remember, at the end of last season, we put together uh, a thank you card for the club and we had hundreds of fans and readers, readers sign it. Um, and you remember that he, he he came up and said, you know, you're the guys who did the card. Um, so that yeah, so I thought that was quite nice. And we got to meet Bertie. I think that's very important to point out from our our day in the past. Things we got to meet Bertie. And, um, and, a, a, and a very glum looking Scott Arfield after the match. Yeah, Scott Arfield got to, got to meet his twin James Bertie, which is <laughs> exciting for everyone. Um, also, uh, there are there are a couple of fans in. Um, uh, a couple of readers and, and listeners in, in the the 1882 lounge. Um, Hi, and, and it was very 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 nice to meet them, and it was quite surreal for us. We were, we were like, oh, you know who we are. You, you follow yeah, us on Twitter. Well. That's that's quite odd. Um, but yeah, thanks. Most thanks most people didn't know who we were, though. So <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> Oper- operating we the lynched. shadows. <laughs> I think I think it's not not like the guy who mistook me for for James before <laughs> <laughs> making the I'm, film. I'm still offended. By <laughs> I'm still offended. <laughs> Jim, I think most I think most people did know us. We were just too starstruck to come up to us. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah it. I think that's right. They're talking about doing up Scott Arfield doing autographs and stuff. I'm surprised people weren't queuing up to get asked. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll have more from, from Lee Hughes and David Baldwin on the site and on the podcast coming up. Uh, before we round off for this week, then, we'll do a quick preview of the Liverpool game on Wednesday night. Won't do too much on this because I know a lot of people listen later in the week and we'll be talking about a game that has already happened. Um, but it's it's going to be another tough game. The run of fixtures that we're on, we've talked about it before, but it's pretty horrible. Um, but we do seem to be playing away in the performances at Chelsea and Manchester United recently. Do they bode well that we could get something? Liverpool are on a good run. Um, James, how do you see the game going? Well, I think, you know, no one knows. We, we've got a point at the Etihad, we've got a point at Stamford Bridge, so I think we'll probably get a point at Anfield as well. And uh, it'll either be a case of, you know, Liverpool don't play up to their current form or we just play out of our skins like we did at, at City. And, uh, you know, it would be typical that it might be the kind of performance you'd wish we could have had on Saturday against a team that, you know, is probably more beatable. You'd hope that there'd be a reaction from Saturday, wouldn't you, Kevin? It was so disappointing. They've got to bounce back from that. Um, you'd hope so. Um, I don't know if I don't know if Deitch, I don't know if that, that particularly happens with Deitch. I think um, he's very much as soon as the final whistle's gone, let's forget that match, whether it's a good result or a bad result. I think either way, he doesn't like to um, to reflect on it too much. Um, but that said, I think we're going to we're definitely going to be a lot more competitive than we were against Swansea. I think it's a, it's a weird theme throughout this season, but we've had some fantastic, fantastic performances uh, and results against the, the, the better teams, um, and some really crap ones against the crap teams. And do you know? I think probably most fans say that in that. Um, I think we've said that for a lot of, a lot of years, and lots of fans of different clubs will say that because. I suppose the, the bad results against bad results, uh, sorry, the bad results against bad teams often stand out, and the good results against good teams stand out. But I think this season it definitely is a, a recurring theme for us. I think there's not many teams that will um, take points off some of the top teams that we've taken off um, this season. But when you look at all the, the teams at the bottom, and we've got a terrible record against the rubbish teams. Um, so yeah, I think we'll be really competitive. Uh, we'll really give Liverpool a game. We'll probably surprise a few people um, at Anfield. Um, they are playing well though, um, so I'm not going to go out and predict a predict a, a result. But I think we'll definitely be be very competitive. That's very diplomatic. That's... <laughs> he, he started building it up, and then at the end, he was like, "No, yeah. we're probably still going to lose." <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it would be, be, be a good defeat though. It'd be a good defeat. It would be oh, very great. Burnley to go go to. It would be very Burnley. Go on, man. I'll 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 go the other way. We're going to win four 0 Only four 0 Only on that. Yeah, I I think it's it's probable that we'll we'll go and and give it at least a good shot, and we'll we'll make a. A, a mark at least um so i i think we will also um i think we might win just just because i, I feel like being optimistic after that dreadful negative weekend uh, of, I think of there's, there's a little bit of a chance that liverpool will be a bit complacent i think they are on also a, a also tired really. because they played that game yeah on, last on, week went to extra time as well and they had a draining game against man city on sunday yeah, back at four eight uh four half four a.m uh in the morning um, on Friday night or, or Saturday morning I think um, yeah so there are, I mean imagine Rodgers will probably mix the team up a little yeah. bit and freshen it up but you never know and I think the opportunities are we have looked better in some of these games that you don't expect to get anything I think the players respond to, to the pressure being off whereas on Saturday Swansea at home wouldn't ordinarily be the sort of game where you think we have to get something but because of the games that surround it 
it became the one that we looked at and went, this is the one that we can win. So I think that added the pressure and I think that had a bit of a, a negative impact. And one little subplot from the Liverpool game that is worth mentioning, because we haven't talked about Danny's future tonight and we always, always talk about Danny's future. Liverpool seems to be the club that he's most likely to end up at. I suppose it could end up being a bit of an audition for him, couldn't it, James? It's going to be a strange one for Danny Ings, knowing that he's playing against the team he's likely to be playing for next season. Yeah, well, we, we did talk quite a bit about if he'd agreed um, a pre-contract with, with Liverpool, um, how that would fit with playing on Wednesday. But, um, you know, I think actually for us, if if that's not something that's that close yet, it, it can only be a good thing because he's going to want to impress and you know, get a few goals and um you know, I think he'll be trying his hardest. It'll certainly be an interesting one, I think. I've said a couple of times that there is a danger that he he over tries and that the second half of the season becomes a bit of an extended audition, but I think with Liverpool's interest being so clear, well, they've not outright come and said they want to sign him, but all the stories point to Ings to Liverpool being the most likely um end result in the summer and I think he, he fits in with their system quite well so certainly be interesting to see if he can put the sort of performance in that we saw from him at Old Trafford there's been signs this season haven't there Kevin that he, he thrives on these big stages um, yeah I think that's I think that's something I, I talked about in a piece on the site um, a few weeks ago is that he's he's very obviously a fiercely ambitious player He's he, he wants to he wants to go all the way he, he really believes in himself I think he sees these big um, these big games is a, a big opportunity, and he uh, he really thrives in those big games. Um, so so yeah, definitely. Um, this is this is the type of game that he's you'd expect him to 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 go out there and perhaps get a goal. Okay, we'll round off with predictions as always. Then, James, we'll start with you. Anfield Wednesday night, Liverpool unbeaten in the league in a good while. Burnley are obviously going to win this one. One one. <laughs> Kevin, you already said you're not going to predict the result, and then said four 0 What are you coming down as? I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on the on the, on the fence again and go same as James uh, a one 0 And we're going to come be, back from behind. I want to be the person suggesting that we're going to lose because I don't see us getting anything on fair. Adam, you get the last word on this then. Um, prediction for Wednesday night. Now I just have to go for a win, don't I? It's, uh, well, you might as well cover all the bases. Yeah, so I'll go right. two two one because there's no chance of us. <laughs> keeping a clean sheet um, so we're going to win 2-1 it'll be from a corner no doubt that is about <laughs> all we've got time for on this week's podcast then thanks again to, to Neville G for treating us on Saturday and sponsoring the website we couldn't do the website or the podcast or any of this without them so we are eternally grateful to them thanks to Scott from the Swansea Way who joined us earlier in the podcast it was always Always good to have opposition fans on. If you've got any feedback at all, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at knownanever.net or you can tweet us at knownanevernet as well. But that is all we've got time for this week. Next week we'll hear more from Lee Hughes and David Baldwin on the podcast. But that is it for tonight. Goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24-7, 365 days of the year. 
Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.